everyone. This is Sam. And this is Corrine, and we are two Onk Docs. This week's episode is going to be focused on another type of gynecologic malignancy. We discussed uterine and ovarian cancer previously, and today we're going to be focusing on cervical cancer and go over the important details on prevention, risk factors, diagnosis, and treatment for cervical cancer. Yeah. So I'm glad we're rounding out the gynoc because again, I was very surprised as a first year fellow when I took my oncology ITE and I saw a lot of gynoc and it was something that I hadn't seen on our consult services or had in clinic. And so I think it's important for us to realize as medical oncologists, we do need to know about the gynecology um, malignancies, even though they're covered by our fabulous surgical colleagues in gynoc most of the time. So to start us off, what are our risk factors for cervical cancer? So HPV 16 and 18 are responsible for 70% of cervical cancers, but not all HPV infections lead to cancer. There are other risk factors, which include HIV, immunosuppression, smoking, and 85% of cervical cancer occurs in the developing world. And this is because of improved cervical cancer screening with pap smears and HPV testing. And there are certain women that may need to have yearly PAPs um, instead of the three to five year gap. Um, And those are women with a history of CIN2 or 3, those with a history of HIV, or those with a history of diethylstilbestrol or DES. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So is there anything else that we can do to decrease the rate of HPV? Yes. So obviously pap smears and cervical cancer screening is extremely important. I don't think this was highly tested on our exam, but just really important to know in clinical practice. so that we can catch these early. And otherwise, vaccines are incredibly important. So Gardasil, which is a quadrivalent vaccine, and Cervarix, which is a bivalent vaccine, both require three doses. We also have now the nine-valent vaccine of Gardasil, which prevents more than 97% of HPV-associated cancer if it's given before someone becomes sexually active. The guidelines recommend giving giving this around the age of 11 or 12, There is also catch-up vaccination up to the age of 26, and in certain cases, the vaccines can even be considered up to the age of 45. Yeah, vaccines are huge, especially in the prevention of HPV-associated cancers, not just cervical, but also head and neck. Um, I also think about cervical cancer similar or parallel to anal cancer. It has a lot of the same risk factors, and so HPV also plays a lot into anal cancer, which we talked about in a previous episode. So how is cervical cancer diagnosed? So there will be a pap smear and colposcopy with biopsy to confirm. If abnormal cells are found and there's no visible lesion, you may consider doing a LEAP, which is a loop electro-excisional procedure, or a cone biopsy. Definitely. And how do we stage cervical cancer? So 70 to 80% of cervical cancers are squamous cell and 20 to 25% are adenocarcinoma. And so anything that is more than five millimeters deep or a 1B stage needs a chest x-ray and a CT abdomen and pelvis. This is a very simplified version of staging, but just to give you an overall idea of how the staging works in cervical cancer, remember that stage one are confined to the cervix and 1A are microinvasive, less than five millimeters, and 1B are more than five millimeters of invasion. Stage two will invade beyond the uterus, but not extend onto the lower third of the vagina or pelvic wall. Stage three involves the lower third of the vagina or extends to the pelvic wall or causes hydronephrosis or involves the pelvic or paraortic lymph nodes. So again, if you have lymph node involvement, stage three, as in other cancers. 
Stage 4A extends beyond the true pelvis and can involve the bladder or rectum. And then stage 4B is when you have distant metastatic disease. Definitely. I think it's important to have those generalized principles of staging because that does correlate with how we treat um, cervical cancers. So when we're talking about localized cervical cancer, how do we treat these patients? So this is not a perfect algorithm, but I think it gives us a general framework about groups and how to treat those with localized cervical cancer. And so the way that I grouped them in my mind was that stage 1A1, which are microinvasive disease involving less than three millimeters of invasion with no lymphovascular invasion can have a simple hysterectomy, also known as an extra facial hysterectomy. And basically this is when you remove the cervix in the uterus without needing to mobilize the ureter or remove significant amount of parametria. Then the next group that I think about is from stage 1A with lymphovascular invasion and stage 1A2, again, with microinvasive disease, as well as any cervical cancer confined to the uterus that is less than four centimeters. And so remember that four centimeter cutoff. And for those, surgery, again, is preferred for those that are less than four centimeters confined to the, um, confined to the uterus. And for those, you're not going to do just a simple hysterectomy, but you're going to need to do a modified radical hysterectomy with a pelvic lymph node dissection. In some select cases, you can offer fertility sparing if they do not have other high-risk features. And that fertility sparing procedure is called a radical trichelectomy. And you also do a pelvic lymph node dissection with those. And then finally, the third category that I think of are those tumors that range from 1B2 to 4A. And those are those tumors that are localized, but extend more than four centimeters that extend beyond the uterus or have any positive lymph nodes or extend beyond the pelvis. And instead of surgery for those, we're going to do upfront chemotherapy with radiation. And that will involve weekly cisplatin dose at 40 milligrams per meter squared with pelvic external beam radiation, as well as brachytherapy. Definitely. I I like your categories, your three different categories. The one that I focused the most on memorizing the details of was your category three, which are the ones with chemo radiation. Um, and so I think that if you memorize one of them, memorize the one, um, the stage one B twos to four A's. Um, and so those are the patients that are chemo radiation versus surgery up front. So if you just had surgery, who needs post-operative radiation? So I did mention just now that those without high-risk features that are early stage, less than four centimeters can have the option of fertility preservation. Um, but I also now want to talk about if you undergo, you know, hysterectomy, what kind of patients need to have post-operative radiation or chemo radiation. And so there's something called the seedless criteria, and those are considered to be intermediate risk. And this applies to patients that after surgery are determined to be node negative, margin negative and parametria negative, where the tumor is more than four centimeters, um, has lymphovascular invasion or has deep stromal invasion. And for those, you can give radiation alone based on the GOG 92 study. Mm-hmm. And then those patients that are high risk are those with positive margins after the surgery, positive lymph nodes or parametrial involvement. Those patients need not just radiation, but they need chemo with radiation, that same cisplatin with radiation regimen. And this makes sense if you think about it, because those patients are in a sense upstage, they will fall into that 2B or 3 category and will need such treatment. Yeah. 
Most definitely. And so that was awesome overview on our localized treatment. So how do we treat metastatic or recurrent cervical cancer? So there is one um, consideration for a minority of patients where if they have recurrent disease, which is isolated cervical central recurrence only, you can consider a pelvic exenteration, uh, which is an option for cure. Um, and then in terms of metastatic disease, we highly, highly encourage clinical trials so that we can better the outcomes for our patients um, because there is still a lot of room for improvement for patients with metastatic cervical cancer. And as of right now, the category one options are cisplatin, paclitaxel with bevacizumab, and then you also add pdl one pembrolizumab for those that are pdl one positive. If a patient is cisplatin intolerant, you can switch to carboplatin. And then if they're pdl one negative, you'll just give the cisplatin with paclitaxel and bevacizumab. The original regimen which was approved for metastatic cervical cancer of just the platinum taxol, so cisplatin paclitaxel or carboplatin paclitaxel, is also still listed as category one. So I'm not sure if the boards will reflect, you know, the triplet or quadruplet regimen, but just remember the doublet as well, um, which is the same doublet as we use in other cancers. However, just know that in cervical, we often do consider the cisplatin with paclitaxel. And then in the second line setting, if a patient is MSI high or PDL1 positive and they did not receive pembrolizumab in the first line setting, you can give pembrolizumab in the second line setting. Otherwise, second line regimens are other chemotherapy agents like category 2B. And so really a clinical trial should be encouraged in this setting as well. And finally, for small cell cervical, as in our other cancers, remember the regimen of cisplatin etoposide. Definitely. So I think if if all else fails and there is a chemotherapy regimen for a gyne malignancy and you're truly not sure, the safest guess on your board day is going to be carbo or cisplatin plus paclitaxel plus minus bevacizumab. And it sounds like immunotherapy is moving to the, you know, upfront setting also, which is great. Um, always, if there is something that is small cell of any organ, remember the cisotope. Um, I can't say that enough because they will ask you questions like that on the boards and expect you to realize you treat with cisplatin plus etoposide when able. And so that was an awesome overview on cervical cancer. And so what are our key takeaways on this topic? So vaccines are crucial. Remember to always advocate for vaccination and anyone that's eligible. Um, also advocate for cervical cancer screening. And then in a very simplified sense for cervical cancer treatment, remember that those microinvasive cervical cancers that are less than three millimeters can get away with a simple hysterectomy. And those that are localized that are less than four centimeters, but are more than three millimeters can um, have surgery upfront with radical hysterectomy with a lymph node dissection. Remember that you have to add post-operative chemo radiation if they're high risk. So if they have positive margins, positive lymph nodes, or parametrial involvement, remember that you can do radiation alone post-operatively if they're intermediate risk. So those node negative, margin negative, parametrial negative cases where the tumor is more than four centimeters has lymphovascular invasion or deep stromal invasion. And then remember that third category where if a tumor is more than four centimeters, you need to do chemo radiation with weekly cisplatin with radiation. And then finally, in the metastatic setting, remember cisplatin, paclitaxel, 
bevacizumab and add pembrolizumab if the pdl one is positive. Encourage clinical trials, and then you can modify cisplatin for carboplatin if there's any contraindication to cisplatin. Terrific. So as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Good luck with studying for your boards. It's getting in closer and closer. And so also please feel free to reach out to us with any corrections, comments on our Instagram or our Twitter to Ankh and Docs. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye.